The Vision app is the best place to find a growing range of on-demand audio for the whole family. Your kids or grandkids can listen to the popular radio drama Adventures in Odyssey and two-minute Bible stories called Quick Sticks whenever it suits you. Whether you're in the car for a few minutes or for a longer trip, these two programs will keep the kids entertained. New episodes are added every weekday in the free Vision Christian Media app. If you don't already have the app on your smartphone or tablet, download it now from vision.org.au slash app. Vision.org.au slash app. Vision. Realfaith.org.au While the bombing came, we would, uh, at every air raid siren, we would run to the local tunnels. And on one occasion, I remember... We were running uh, over the railway tracks and a uh, fighter plane came and started strafing us. Oh, wow. But I lost my shoe. So I quickly uh, wrenched my hand out of my father's grip and I ran back to get my shoe. Welcome to Real Faith. Conversations about the impact faith has on our lives and the challenges we go through. Helping us today and giving us hope for tomorrow. That's real people, real life, and real faith with Eric Scadabo. Dr. Charles Palagi was a biological scientist in good standing when he became a Christian and began to have serious doubts about the theory of evolution. The more he studied, the more he became an outspoken creationist. But this was not appreciated by his secular university, and he proceeded to have 28 years of various degrees of discrimination. We're going to get to all that and how he eventually defended the biblical view of creation on national TV in a debate that was hosted by British broadcasting legend David Frost. But first, we're going to find out his story and how he became a Christian in the first place. Dr. Charles Palagi, welcome to the program. Well, thank you very much, Eric. It's a pleasure to be here. Great to have you with us. And before we even get started, I should say that you and I know each other because you have started to attend mm-hmm. the men's Bible study yep. that I've been going to. So I just knew you as Charles, another guy at the study. That's right. And then as time went by and dribs and drabs, you've shared different uh, experiences that you've had. And I said, this guy's kind of interesting. <laughs> <laughs> and now you have your own website. And I didn't know about all this uh, controversy that you had swirling around you in the 80s when you started to go on TV and write letters to the Age newspaper about creationism. Mm, well, I was uh, very zealous for the Lord. and perhaps... Oh, you're not anymore? What are you trying oh, to say? Oh, <laughs> I'm still uh, zealous, but uh, a little bit more wisdom oh, okay. over the years. Okay, a more wisdom. But yeah, those were some controversial times back in the 80s. They, they were, and uh, I'm so glad that uh, I did write that letter because it uh, brought nationwide attention. Mm-hmm. It brought uh, the evolution-creation controversy to the forefront. Mm-hmm. So that was a very helpful thing. Of course, there was a lot of flack from people who didn't want a creationist scientist on any scientific staff anywhere in Australia, but there were a lot of supporters as well. And you even wrote a book about it. Yeah, we wrote uh, with a uh, missionary who's now in uh, Indonesia, Jeff Hammond. We wrote a book, The Bible and Science, which was uh, produced really for the layman public uh, in a popular style with a few cartoons just to make it interesting. Oh, oh, good. So then even I could understand it. Yeah. (laughs) Eric. (laughs) (laughs) Wonderful. We'll have to have a look at that. So once again, the name of that book? The Bible and Science. That you wrote back in the 80s. Yeah, it's been translated into Indonesian where it's a popular book 
and the lady just asked me for permission to translate it into Cambodian. Oh, wow. So that's going to be good too. Wow, that's wonderful. So it's written at that sort of level mm-hmm. for ordinary people. Being an ordinary person, I very much appreciate mm. <laughs> that. Well, let's go back to your childhood, which was anything but ordinary. You were born in 1939 in Hungary. Yes, yes. To a uh, German mother, Hungarian father, because he had studied in Germany, got all his degrees in Germany, and so he brought a German wife back home. And one very strange experience that you had was you were almost killed by a nurse. Well, that's right. Um, What was the context of that situation? Well, I would have been a toddler, and naturally uh, I was admitted for scarlet fever into hospital at about the age of two or three. I can't remember, of course, but my mother told me all of this. And uh, I and my mother spoke to each other in German. She was would often mm-hmm. come in to visit me, and we would... I would call her Mutti, you know, German address. And uh, I became known as the little Hitler in the hospital because I had very, very blonde hair and I was a typical Aryan-looking kid. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a Polish nurse there who took great affront because, you know, the Germans had attacked a number of Polish villages. Some were wiped out altogether and she was very, very distraught. And uh, at that moment, she took it into her hands to try and give me a poisonous cocktail by injection oh wow and as she was about to do it a hungarian doctor came in to the ward and said well what are you doing and so the the doctor saved my life oh wow and and your mother told you all about this. yeah my mother told me because of course the doctor shared it with my mother wow yeah so that was at the beginning of world war ii well that would have been probably 1942 Okay, yeah. Because so, I was born in 39. Yeah. So yeah. World War II was well underway at that point. Oh, yes. And you have a number of interesting, to say the least, experiences from your childhood during World War II. So yes. please share. It's interesting, uh, Eric, how my memory works. I can remember all the highlights, and then I can't remember the in-between things. Well, all we want is the highlights, so it works out fine. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, well, one of the first things I I distinctly remember is we were hiding in in our cellar in the middle of the night in uh, our Hungarian house, and uh, we knew that aeroplanes were coming, and and in the middle of the night we could see all these parachutes dropping, and uh, several... Paratroopers landed in our yard. Oh, wow. And my mum said, get away from the window or they'll see us, you know. So Now, were they friendly? Good... These were Russians? They, these were Russians, and they were very busy just packing up their parachutes immediately, hide them, and get out of there because they were on some kind of secret mission. Uh, next morning, we went out just to have a look around to see whether they left anything behind of interest, but... I found that all my uh, all our rabbits were gone, so obviously they took them away for oh. rabbit stew. Oh wow! <laughs> they were pet rabbits. Oh okay, yeah. yeah. And then eventually, your family moved from Hungary to Germany. Well, uh, yes, uh, the Russian front was advancing. This would be about 1943 onwards now, mm-hmm. um, and the horror stories came to the Hungarian villages that uh, the Russians were carrying out atrocities of all sorts, including uh, blinding the local villagers. Oh, wow. And uh, I guess they were taking revenge on what the Germans had done to them. And, of course, Hungary was an ally, so they treated Hungarians just like they would have 
treated Germans. And so uh, my father thought it was time to uh, get out of Hungary. It was getting to be a danger zone. And what did your father do? Well, he was the director of a magnesium factory producing magnesium, I guess, for the manufacture of German airplanes. So he was a, a, an academic as well? He was a chemical engineer. and uh, So that just runs in your family, biology and chemistry yeah, and all we, that kind of stuff? Yeah, we all love science. My daughter's a microbiologist. My son is a physicist. And so, yeah, we love science. Okay, it just runs in the family. Yeah. But getting back to your experience. All right. Um, well, my dad found no problems because he had studied under the best professors in Germany to get a job back in Bitterfeld in Germany. And so he decided to leave us with my grandfather in Germany once he transferred, and he would go off during the week to work in Bittersfeld. So we lived in Friedrichrode with my grandfather, was a German Lutheran pastor. So did he have a bit of a spiritual influence on you? Well, uh, yes, in a way, uh, because he was very disappointed that with all the uh, worries about the war, my mother had never really brought me up as a Christian boy. Uh, my mum was really good with German traditions like Christmas trees and candles and Christmas carols and Easter, but she never really talked to us about Jesus, except mm. she taught me a prayer, which I kept uh, saying for the remainder of my life, really, a little German prayer. Um, What's the gist of the prayer? It was just a very simple children's prayer for Jesus to protect me, mm -hmm. you know. Now, at that time in Germany... One of your neighbors would come home crying. Why well, that? that's right. This is before the heavy bombing started. Um, my sister tells me, was four years older, that uh, a neighbor would come home. Uh, he'd be crying and his wife would be distraught because he never told her um, what he was crying about. But every day he came home in great anguish. And so my mother would go over and comfort his wife mm -hmm. next door. And then my sister said, yeah, well, uh, we... we felt that he was a uh, worker at the local concentration camp at Ordruf, which uh, General Eisenhower liberated later mm. after the war. So he must have seen some pretty horrible yeah. things. It was only a 10-minute drive from us. And you found this out later. And I found that out later when my sister told me these stories. Okay, and then... The bombing came? Well, the bombing came. We would, uh, at every air raid siren, we would run to the local tunnels because in Friedrich Rohde, it was a very hilly place, and the Americans felt there would be a lot of military trains hiding in railway tunnels. So they would bomb us regularly, and on one occasion, I remember, we were running uh, over the railway tracks towards the uh, tunnel, and a uh, fighter plane came and started strafing us. Oh, wow. You know, yeah, shooting you bullets around us. and uh, But I lost my shoe. So I quickly uh, wrenched my hand out of my father's grip and I ran back to get my shoe with the aeroplane still <laughs> oh, in the distance wow. but firing. And so he got a horror and uh, I ran back and uh, then we made it to the tunnel. And uh, fortunately, uh, when we got inside the tunnel, it seemed quite safe. He said, no, no, let's go further into the tunnel and around the bend. Mm -hmm. And as soon as we had done that, there was this horrendous detonation coming from the front and the smell of um, wet concrete and gunpowder and everything. So they'd bombed the tunnel, and I'm just so sorry for all the people 
that had been sitting or lying down near the tunnel entrance. And so we had to escape through another tunnel later on, tunnel exit. Now, why were there these tunnels? Well, they were just ordinary railway tunnels, but they were our air raid shelters. Oh, okay. Because they were close by. It was a hilly town. And then when you came out of the tunnels? Well, on this one occasion, I clearly remember we walked back to where we were, to my grandfather's manse, which was a two-story building, and I noticed that all the um, roads were had heavy craters, you know, mm-hmm. of yeah. uh, bombshells. And when we got to our place, I noticed that ours was the only house standing in the, in the neighborhood. Everything else had oh, wow. been bombed to rubble. And then uh, my, I heard my mum and dad discussing that the, our neighbour, who was a baker, had been uh, hiding with his 11 children in their cellar, mm-hmm. that they were all killed through a direct hit on the, oh, on the wow. cellar. So fortunately, um, I never saw any dead bodies because by the time we, we came out of air raid shelters, uh, any body had been already taken care of. So I never saw bodies. That was really the grace of the Lord. Our guest today is Dr. Charles Palagi, and he's telling us about his childhood growing up in Hungary and then Germany during World War II. We're going to take a break, and when we return, we'll find out more about his childhood memories during the war and also about the time he and a friend came across a Bible. We'll find out the impact that had on his life. All that and more when we return right here on Real Faith. The Word for Today is Australia's most widely read daily devotional, designed to give you practical teaching to keep you focused on your relationship with Jesus. Read it online or subscribe to the free printed edition at thewordfortoday.com.au. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Skadabo, and today our guest is Dr. Charles Palagi. He was born in Hungary in 1939, and a few years later, he and his family moved to Germany during World War II. We've been hearing about his childhood with bombs dropping all over his neighborhood, and they had to run to tunnels for safety. Now we're going to hear more of his childhood memories during the war. Now, toward the end of the conflict, you were trying to surrender. Yeah, well, the bombing got so bad that my dad said, uh, look, we've got to go into the hills and hide there because uh, we can't live here anymore. So we took some bedding and food and uh, some essentials and uh, we climbed several hills and uh, we found an old trench on top of one hill. And so we hid there. But, of course, the American uh, front was beginning to approach our town and there was shelling always over our heads. So you could hear the whizzing of shells above us. And uh, that got very, very intense. And at one moment we went out to uh, have a look what was going on because we could see the cliffs opposite. And there we saw American troops climbing up cliff faces Mm -hmm. using the sort of rope ladders that they would use to board ships. Mm And so my dad said, no, let's get out of here. So um, he tore up the white bed sheets Mm -hmm. and made four flags, one for me, my sister, and 
and we each carried a flag and he said, let's run down the other direction to this other town that he knows of. And we started running down the hill without really being careful where we were running. And all of a sudden, we discovered we were in the middle of a crossfire between Germans and Americans. Oh, wow. Running down <laughs> the hill, uh, all four of us in single line, like geese. And uh, I noticed, I could see the helmets, you know, of the sides. soldiers firing mm -hmm. at each other. And wherever we ran, they stopped firing and then resumed behind us. So that was really wonderful, and we got but down into the town, which was, again, total rubble, and there was nobody around, and, and then finally we came across an old lady, and she said, what are you doing here? Because the Americans said, if you don't go to the town hall, anybody found on streets walking around would be shot, because everybody had to register with the American army, and mm -hmm. so... Uh, we started going in the direction of the town hall and all of a sudden an American jeep came around the corner straight for us with four soldiers in it. And my mum thought, oh, no, we're in big trouble here. Because well, she's German? Because she's German and we were German citizens as mm. far as the Americans thought. Yeah. And all of a sudden my mother decided to uh, forego her German heritage and pretend she's Hungarian. And so when the jeep approached us, uh, before the soldiers got out, she tried uh, to say, because she knew a little bit of French, that um, we are from Hungary. And the soldiers thought we were hungry. <laughs> so they got out and laughed and handed out chocolates and chewing gums and other things. And, and then they showed us the way to the town hall. So I got a liking for Americans ever since. Wow, some amazing stories from your childhood. And then... After the war, there yeah. were some different countries represented well, in occupying yeah. um, forces. As you know, that um, because we lived close to the border of Czechoslovakia there in the East Germany, uh, General Patton had to withdraw his troops from uh, German occupation, that area, and handed slowly over to the Russians under some agreement that they had reached. But first the British and the French troops came in, and then the Russians were going to come in with their tanks and occupy town, and we were all warned to put out red flags and f dangling in front of every house. Any house not showing a red flag would be reduced to rubble by a tank fire. And we lived in a house that mm -hmm. had one wall blown out, so we knew what oh, that wow. meant. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and, and so uh, everybody was scrambling to try and find a red cloth. And so my mum emptied all these feathers from a big red pillow that we had and hung that out to say our red flag. Okay. So you ended up being occupied by several different countries. That's right. So first of all, we were in the American zone. Then the Russians moved in. We were placed in a Russian refugee camp. My father and mother don't really want to talk about it. Mm. Then they decided to repatriate all the Russians and Poles back to their countries. And we were put on a train to be repatriated to Hungary. Uh, it turns out a lot of people uh, were actually shot during that process because the train would stop in a forest, everybody would be shot, and then uh, the train would go back for more. Oh, wow. Who in Hungary would have wanted more refugees coming in uh, in post-war Hungary where everybody was starving? Anyway, our fortune was that because all the train tracks to Hungary were bombed out pretty heavily, the train had to detour through the American zone where the American soldiers stopped the train and forced everybody off. 
at the protest of the Russian guards, and that's how we ended up in the American zone. Oh, okay. Now, I was a pretty uh, uh, disobedient boy because I... Once I was sent to school after the war, I never really enjoyed it very much. So I and my German friend, we used to uh, skip school and hide in a big trench hoping that nobody would see us. And the reading material we always took with us was an abridged German Bible that had been handed to every school kid after the war. And so that's when I and my friend were often moved to tears, you know, reading about the wonderful things that Jesus did, you know, especially oh, wow. his healings. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I thought, well, how wonderful it is. Years later now, because I've still got that book. Do uh, you really? Yeah. Going back to the story of, uh, of the woman of Samaria, where mm -hmm. Jesus talked yep. to her at the well, yeah. uh, I wanted to copy some of the uh, original woodcut pictures out for my website. And, uh, and I noticed that uh, one verse... In the Bible, there was heavily scratched out with a with a pen, and then I looked at that verse, and it was for salvation is of the Jews, and I saw, yeah, we got a second-hand Bible, and some German who owned that Bible before didn't want to know that scripture. Oh wow, <laughs> salvation is of the Jews. So. That was interesting. I only discovered that six months ago. Is that right? I've had the book all oh, the while, wow. and I never saw that before. Now, obviously, we've been talking about your childhood, and we haven't gotten to where you put your faith in Jesus Christ in your adulthood, but you believe that the Lord was working in your life all the way back to your childhood, in retrospect. Is that right? Uh, that's absolutely right, Eric, because when I think back, I can see how the Lord saved our lives so many times. Mm -hmm. So many close calls. So many close calls. I've described those in an autobiography on the website. So quite an eventful childhood. Eventually, at nine years old, you moved to Australia. Well, yes, a lot of things happened, of course, before that. But uh, eventually my dad said we've got to move uh, for better quality of life because we had lost everything during the war. Mm. And um, we came across by boat through Italy on the Fierce Sea. And uh, on, on the boat, I would have been about 10 years old. I won the uh, under-15 chess championship. Really? For which I got one American dollar. That was my prize. <laughs> <laughs> and before I could spend it on the ship, my dad said, oh, no, no, you've got to spend that dollar to buy a bag of lemons for your mother and sister who are so seasick in their cabin You've got to help them out. So I didn't see much for my dollar. Oh, that was your dollar <laughs> yeah. spent on lemons. On lemons. Okay. Well, at this point, you've arrived in Australia mm. at this point of the story, but we've uh, pretty much run out of time for this first edition of our conversation mm -hmm. with Dr. Charles Palagi. So we'll have to have you come on again to share the rest of your story. Thank you, Eric. And your website is? Uh, that's uh, creation6000.com. If you want to find it, it's creation6000.com. And you can learn more about your adventures in childhood, but then also about creation science and your outspoken defense of creationism as yes. found in the Bible. I've put a lot of effort into it, and my website designer actually honored me by saying, look, Charles, I've worked on many websites, but this is a significant site, so I'm very pleased with it. 
Okay, so this has been part one of our conversation with Dr. Charles Palagi. He's a biological scientist, well, retired at this point. And we're going to find out next time how he was discriminated against for being an outspoken creationist back in the 1980s. All that and more coming up next time as we continue our conversation with Dr. Charles Palagi. You've been listening to Real Faith. And if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join us again next time for more conversations about God working in the lives of people who put their faith and trust in Him. That's real people, real life, and real faith. This program is a production of Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, see vision.org.au.